Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, our weekly trawl through the murkier elements of the beautiful game that we love so much. My name is Kevin Day, I'm your host, and I'm joined, as ever, by Kira Maguire, who is, uh, I th- I'm going to say this straight here and now, the country's number one expert on, on football finances, and he's actually nodding as I speak, everybody. So, scratching my ear. <laughs> he says he's scratching his ear, I recognise body language. He's agreeing that he's a financial football expert. Um Thank you so much for listening to us in so many numbers and leaving us your reviews on iTunes. It does help us get um, more attention, and it's clear that there's a lot of people out there who need taking by the hand by Kieran through this, what's becoming clear to my dis- my displeasure every week. is, a, is Murky is the only word you can use to describe it, isn't it, really? Um, and again, we're driven by your questions, and so we, we want to start with a big question this week, and it's one, along with agents fees, this is a question that is probably the one that most people will ask us most. And again, this is something that you you will hear me use the words financial fair play on a very regular basis. And it's quite clear, Kieran, that I don't really know what financial fair play means. I'm I'm in favour of it, clearly, because it sounds like it should be the right thing to do. But how how does it work? How does it work in in Europe, for example, in in and in the Premier League? And the Champions League. Are there different rules? And is it a level playing field? Because Arsene Wenger famously used to call it financial doping, basically. He said that the the people who did it well were able to disguise it in a way that certain people can disguise drugs tests. So give us a little... Because we talked about it a little bit last week with with QPR and the response was quite uh, fractious, mainly from other clubs in, in, in West London, you may recall that Dr Gandalf QC, which is my favourite listener's name so far, uh, he tried to be coy about which club we were talking about, but it didn't take uh, a QC or a doctor to work <laughs> out. It was QPR, to be perfectly honest. So it, it, it does infuriate other fans of clubs who, for the most part, see their own club, they think, trying to abide by the rules and regulations, and then you see other clubs get around it. So just give us a little bit of context about what financial fair play is what it was meant to do and is it doing it its stated objective at the time was to make uh, the finances of clubs in european football um, more stable reduce debt and to reduce the chances of clubs going bust so this was a uefa initiative this was a uefa this came from michelle patini Oh, okay. Behind that, <laughs> that wasn't an ironic cough, by the way. In case the lawyer's <laughs> listening, that was just a hmm. Yeah, right. Behind that was um, a, a concern from Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern, Manchester United, and so on that we had upstarts in in Europe. We had upstarts, and they were called Chelsea and Manchester City and PSG, who had billionaire owners who have come along from effectively nowhere and they've bankrolled clubs to break through the glass ceiling, to, to start to sit at the table that the, that the elite thought was theirs and theirs alone. So, again, this is another theme that we've had over the weeks. This is show five. I think we've mentioned this every show. Something that looks like it's designed to help out the smaller clubs is, in fact, self-interest from the bigger clubs. Yeah. And financial fair play is there to stop another Manchester City, another PSG, from being created. Another, and, Le- another Leicester, to an extent, as you said last week. Well, yeah. I mean, Le- Le- Leicester are sort of at the cusp. They, 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 they've done extremely well. Um, and you know, ha- having seen them 
recently play that incredible performance at Southampton. Oh, good, yeah. Um, you know, they, they are playing great football, but can they maintain that season by season? Right. I think that they, right. you know, they, they've had, a, they've had, you know, if you think about the year after they won the Premier League, they actually they struggled. struggled yeah, yeah. And, and they, they, they sacked Ranieri. Um, so how does financial fair play work? There's two broad uh, methods. The first is what, what we would refer to as, as a profit or loss target uh, for clubs. And the second is a wage cap. And, and those are those are two different methods of, of controlling a club's finances. As far as UEFA are concerned, they use this uh, this profit and loss approach. And you're allowed to lose no more than 30 million euros over a rolling three-year period. And, and UEFA are actually quite strict on that because AC Milan are currently banned from UEFA competition for, for, for going beyond the, the, the targets. Um, and, and in terms of the sanctions they've, they've had in the past, they gave Manchester City and PSG a fine. Wow! Okay. Wow! Okay. Um, which was partly suspended. Um, <laughs> that would stop them, and that that didn't really you know, that didn't really financially impact upon those clubs because right. they they're very wealthy backers. They also put a limit on the squad size for UEFA competition in, in those in, in those seasons. Right. That did impact upon yes. those clubs. So there's various ways of achieving this, um, and no, it, the. That figure you make the thirty million. Did that intrigue? Where's the distinction between earnings and money given to you by owner? Right. Um, if the if the owner puts money into the club, some of that is allowed to contribute towards the thirty million. Twenty. So so right. the owners are allowed to effectively put twenty five million of that thirty million over the three seasons. Right. Oh, okay. Just but if they put more than that, they they can do that, but it doesn't count for FFP. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, so that's that's sort of the profit approach, um, and that's also the approach that we've we've got in in the Premier League. But the Premier League say you can lose one hundred and five million quid over three years. Now, to to, to achieve that, that that's gonna that's gonna be one hell of an achievement. You think about all the money in the Premier League. So the Premier League FFP um, sanctions aren't particularly severe. They did have. A wage cap in the Premier League, oh, right. but nobody knew about it apart from the club owners. And what happened this summer was that the club owners agreed to scrap that wage cap, right. which is good news for Steve Parish. Well, you see, this makes sense. I have mentioned this before because Steve Parish has talked in the past about Palace being one of the clubs. Yeah, when when at forums, for example, in meetings. When we've talked about not getting players that we we were involved with or apparently interested in, and he's talked about us complying with financial fair play regulations, and then always gets a little sheepish when we say, "Well, we seem to be the only club doing it." So I didn't know. Well, as it turned out, no one knew there was a wage cap. Yeah, it, it was called uh, STCC, short-term cost control, and right. what you were allowed to do is that you were only allowed to increase your wage bill by seven million pounds a year. Right. Okay. Plus. Any money that you earned yourself through player sales, increased, that, increased the, commercial deals, increased match day that, money. And that so makes on. perfect sense as a Palace fan because uh, I know for a fact that our annual wage bill was fairly low until Kabai came in and then Benteke came in and then the players that were already there wanted. So that would make perfect sense yeah. in terms of the fact that our wage bill suddenly spiraled to a level that we'd never seen before. So that would that would make sense. But that that wage cap is gone now. That wage cap is that was for reasons which is, have never been communicated. That was abolished for this season onwards. 
So that, so that in well, theory... Well, maybe they, if, 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 the, if no one knew about it, maybe they thought they didn't need to tell us it wasn't there anymore. Well, no, no, nobody will talk about it because you don't think of clubs in the Premier League as, as being... Uh, yeah, fair point. You know, uh, having, suffering having, financially. Yes, yes, yeah, fair point. Um, so that, that also operated in, in the Championship. And as we know, Birmingham City got a nine-point deduction last season for for breaking FFP yeah. they they, um, un, they they were paying 202 pounds in wages for every 100 pounds that came through the door which is not a very good way to run a business um, but but should football be a business you know the romantic in us says who cares yeah yeah and also i think from a fan's point of view if a billionaire comes along and if he wants to pay a huge amount of money to players for wages, well, I don't care if it's my club. No, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, yeah. Talk, you talk to a Chelsea fan, yeah. do, they, do they moan that uh, Abramovich has, has underwritten a billion pounds worth of losses and it's the same at Manchester City? Yeah, yeah. I say, look at the trophy cabinet, look at the football we're playing, look at, look at the fact that we're playing in Europe every season. Yeah. So from a fan's point of view, we, we, we're not bothered. Yeah. Um, the billionaire isn't bothered because... A football club's a trophy asset. Yeah. If you think about it, you've, you've got the helicopter, you've got the yacht, you've got a couple of private islands, you've you've got some Jackson Pollock paintings. Yeah. What what else do you want? Well, football club gives you recognition that you've never had before because you've got fifty thousand people chanting your name yeah, and, yeah. and cheering you to the rafters every week. So, a football club's and, and, a very very attractive asset and for we've, a rich we, person. We've seen with Leicester City how close the relationship can be with an owner who buys a club. And buys into the ethos of the yeah. club as well, because I think it's fair with Man City as well, because Man City fans will see the economic effect it's had on East Manchester. So it's it's not always a one-way take basis, is it? Yeah. So, but it is, as you say, it's a shortcut into a global brand. Um, and they've they've benefited from it. You know, right. Chelsea and Manchester City both now break even. Yeah, they they've they've stopped making losses as right. such. Um, and their owners would say, we had to lose that. We we had in order to get from step one to step six, you know, we, 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 we had to we had to go up the elevator very very quickly. And, and is is their transfer embargo Chelsea? Is that anything to do with financial fair play, or is that no? That's all to do with right, the recruitment okay. of right. So that would be a different yeah yeah because I'm, I'm yeah. to be honest, I, I know I'm a professional idiot on this, but this is the first time when I'm actually genuinely having to digest what you're saying because it's such a big issue and the numbers are so. So big, so is it working? Does it does it work financial fair? I mean, and, and does it? What are the financial fair play rules outside the Premier League in the rest of English football? Then does the EFL have their own separate financial the, the, fair the play? The EFL have their own rules. So in the EFL, you're allowed to lose thirty nine million over three seasons, but you get slightly different rules if you've been relegated from the Premier League. So so the the the, the numbers the numbers vary from So would that be the same for a club at the bottom of League 2 as it would be for a club at the top of the Championship then? No, no, it's it's for the Championship only. Oh, it's 39 million. Uh, oh, okay, right. And then in League 1 and League 2, you've got wage caps. So in oh, in, okay. in League 1, you're not allowed to spend more than 60% of your your income on wages and in League 2 it's 50%. Right. But there's Bits and pieces around there, which which are, which will make things a bit more messy. Well, there's a, I, I don't know. We will be coming back to financial fair play probably in a minute, but it, certainly. But on the players' wages again, this is something that many people. It's one of those general questions. Do, do football fans? Are, do I play pay Palace players' wages? Do you pay 
Brighton because whatever you're paying Brighton players is too much, clearly. But I mean, uh, how much of the of the players' wages is coming from? Because you will not a game goes by without somebody shouting at Christian Benteke. Come on, mate, I'll pay your wages. So, is that true? At the start of the Premier League in 1992-93, the answer was yes. The, it was. The, the, the fans were paying £92 out of every 100 that were being paid out in wages. This season, it's 23 overall in the Premier League. And for Palace, it's £9. So wages have just gone up and up and up. Match day prices, I know we think that they're, they're extortionate and you know, lots of people like them to be lower... But if you think about it, you know, your season ticket probably hasn't gone up significantly in the last few years. Manchester United have kept their well, season ticket prices uh, as we frozen. Dis- as we there. discussed, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for the last eight years. So, so clubs are not squeezing the fans in terms of the matchday ticket. So, you're not paying those wages to the same extent as before. The armchair fan is because the broadcasting uh, rights course. are actually taking up so much Well, also on, on season tickets as well, Palace, like many clubs, are spreading the cost, so you can pay in instalments as well. So uh, that's a very fair point. So you, uh, uh, essentially a Premier League club could pay in front of an empty stadium and it really wouldn't affect yep. their income too much. Yeah, we, we did a study last year, I think BBC did a study, and um, they worked out that I think of the 20 clubs in the Premier League, 11 of them could charge nothing for tickets and the clubs would still make a profit. So, but then presumably when you've got a club like Bournemouth who get 9,000 people in, that figure's even less. Yeah, it's, it's, it's down to four. That's a, they they right. pay, Bournemouth fans pay £4 out of every £100. And where wages. would Bournemouth's wages be ballpark compared to other Premier League teams, because presumably they they still have to attract players to Bournemouth, don't they? And they've got some decent players there. Their, their, their wage bill is is pretty high. It's 102 million pounds. Yeah, the average in the Premier League is is around about 110. Um, so so that, it's, a club it's that not gets nine thousand, ten thousand people in can afford that wage bill. Yeah, because fans match day income is not a driver of overall income. And that that change has happened in. That's happened over the existence of the Premier League because what we have seen is that the amount that we're paying for our uh, TV subscriptions has has gone up faster and faster. Uh, you know, it's, it's far exceeded inflation, and, and and we keep coming back and we keep renewing, we keep on you know, pressing that that button because you know, whether you like it or not, in terms of whether you like BT and Sky, they do put on a very good product. Yeah, uh, and and it's. And how, um, while we're talking about this subject, and again, it shows how easily you can get sidetracked on this, I'm currently doing a show called Back of the Net for Amazon, which people aren't subscribing to, but how how has Amazon skewered football finances, broadcasting finances, with because they've got 20 games, and they've got all the Boxing Day games, haven't they, including, disgracefully, moving Leicester Man United to 8 o'clock on a Boxing Day evening, Um and interestingly, I know the people who are presenting, they're not happy it's been moved to 8 o'clock on a Boxing Day evening either. But what have they done to the, to the broadcasting finances, Amazon? They, they've got the best bargain of anybody um, because the understanding is that they actually paid a pretty low fee compared to both BT and Sky. Is that so? Um, because, because, because the Premier League want to try something slightly new. 
And because they want to, in the next round of negotiation, they can say to both Sky and BT, well, well Amazon are already here. They, they could go and increase their involvement. And presumably Amazon uh, could buy and sell BT and Sky, couldn't they, with the money they've got? Oh, a- Amazon can. Yeah, Amazon are yeah, potentially huge. They've got the capacity to blow, blow people out of the water. But from Amazon's point of view, I, I think it's actually, yeah, you look at it from a business perspective, it's really smart. Amazon's sale starts on Boxing Day. Yeah. You can sign up for Amazon Prime for 30 days for free on Boxing Day. So you're thinking, well, I'm a football fan. I could watch, over the course of the next 48 hours, I could watch six or seven fixtures for for nothing. And then at the end of the 30 days, you've bought a few things from Amazon. You think, well, this Amazon Prime thing's pretty good. And you press your Renew button. And they've got you. you so, so it's it's a very very smart approach from their point of view. Have they signed a long term? If if it doesn't work as a business model this year, if if for example football fans were to say I'm not happy with the way they've moved the fixtures about, uh, if and there's a, there's also a chance that families will say we don't want you watching football uh, all day Boxing Day. Is there a chance that it won't work as a business model? And if it doesn't, will Amazon say well? We're not that interested in football. Full stop. We'll move on to something else. Or are they in it for the long? They, they got. They've signed a three-year deal. It's three years. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. All right. So back to financial fair play. Because again, TV broadcasting rights is another whole podcast coming up. It's, so it, does financial fair play work then? Is it, is it doing what it set out to do? Because it clearly hasn't stopped, as you say. If the aim was to stop the upstarts, the PSGs and the Man Cities, apart from the fact they haven't won the Champions League, it's not stopped those clubs pretty much dominating football in their own countries, Liverpool notwithstanding. Um, UEFA argue that it has been successful because the level of debt in um, in European football has fallen. I, I would argue that that's an irrelevance because right. Manchester City and PSG, two clubs who have been penalised by UEFA, they've not got any debt. So yeah, why are they being why are they being targeted? Um, you know, Spurs now owe six or seven hundred million. Manchester United owe five hundred million. Liverpool have expanded their stadium; they owe more money. But these are all very successful clubs. Debt is not a problem. It's paying your instalments is the problem. Right. So, but there's no distinction between owing money to another club for transfer fees, for example, and owing a lot of money for your new ground. Is that all part of the? And, and, and as far as um, FFP is concerned, no, there, there's there's no there's no difference. Um, and what we are seeing, in, in, as far as transfer fees is concerned, is that more and more clubs are uh, paying in instalments. Uh, yeah, we've we've seen with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Um, yes, that, that yes. You know, Palace last week they were they were still owed twenty two and a half million pounds from United, and they they went to the bank and said, "We've got this IOU from United," um, and the bank says, "Well." You give us the IOU, we'll give you, we'll give you the money. Amortising is that? Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. much. I learned that word yeah, from you. Um, well, that's, that, the, the Wambasaka thing is quite interesting because most people, including the media, led everyone to believe that United had paid pretty much up front. So, but you say that's never going to happen again for most transfers of above forty, fifty million, don't you? Well, it, it, even for a big, you know, a, a giant club, United, Barcelona, and so on. The, how many people actually have the capacity 
to go to their bank and write out a check for 50 or 60 million pounds and remember united in united at the end of 2018 they already owed 258 million pounds to lots of other clubs for lots of other transfers so you know if if they go and pay palace the full amount the other Everton and go say, well, hold on, you know, uh, of course, you, of course. You're, you're paying us over three years, right? Of course. So yeah, I, I think it would cause ructions. Um, and you know, regardless of people's opinion of Manchester United, they are a very, very professionally run operation, and they they wouldn't do that. They they wouldn't screw over one club to sure. to benefit another because that's not the way they do business. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that because Steve Parrish, for example, has always said that in their dealings with both Wan-Bissaka and Zahar earlier on, that United were honourable, is the word that he used, but that they were very easy and decent to deal with and you know, could have used their considerable financial clout to, to drive us down, but didn't do that. But that's, again, that's a story for another day. This is going to seem like a more seamless link than it was planned to be, because we mentioned Wan-Bissaka. Our producer, who's currently enjoying a brief Scottish holidays, a massive Man United fan, so he's... He's thrown this in as a, as a question about another young Man United star, Jesse Lingard. Basically, it, what's he up to? Is what he's put. Is he, it, it, Jesse Lingard's got other business stuff going on. Is that is that so? Yeah, well, you know, you know, you, know, you and I, Kevin, we're both both of a similar age. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah. we're, we're, but we're still down with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, Jesse Lingard has uh, he's set up a company called J Lins. Of course he has. Um, and it's selling hoodies and it's selling street gear. Um, and uh, it's, lo- it's losing a load of money. Oh, really? You know, um, and it, and it, it's not had a very successful... Yeah, no, it could be, you know, start-up companies lose money. But, yeah, he's, he's lost 200 grand in his, in his first few months of trading in, in terms of that company. Um, so, and I think, I think that's, that's actually introduces us to a broader issue. Are footballers good at running businesses you know do they do they have business acumen gary neville is actually very successful one matter yeah, in, in manchester he's got a fantastic restaurant uh, pep's got a fantastic restaurant as well yeah that some of them are very good but 40 percent of footballers professional footballers will end up bankrupt how many 40 percent and that's that comes from the pfa um because in in, in english football in english football from when? Like from now, players playing now? That that was I think it came out that I think it was a 2018 report because we think of professional footballers earning huge sums of money. Forty percent. Forty percent. But you know, what are they doing? The money? Look what happened to Paul Merson. Yeah. Look what's happened to David James. Yeah. Look yeah. what's happened to um, Dieter Mann and other players. Yeah. They've they've become sidetracked by other issues. Um, and I think you know if if we get. If we get the opportunity, perhaps you know we ought to to get somebody from Sporting Chance or somebody like that to go and talk about the issues surrounding football and gambling, which are which which is an industry, industries which are too closely linked. I think for, for well, for again, we've this is another pod issue. The amount I I'm never comfortable with Palace being sponsored by betting companies. To be perfectly honest. Um, and you're right, gambling. And also, I mean, we know that footballers have been badly advised in the past with various tax schemes, investing in movies that haven't worked, and HMRC will inevitably catch up with them. But with the Jesse Lingard thing, your initial thought is £200,000 not a lot of money, but of course it is. for Even for a professional footballer, £200,000 is a lot of money. So clubs, you'd think, would be worried about... Yeah, he's, if he's not sleeping at night worrying about his business, he's not going to be playing football or training well, is he? And that's right. And and you, if you if you do talk to footballers, you know, they they have the same concerns as us, and, and they they do lose form because they're worried about 
money. They, yeah, they, not to the same extent as, as other pe- people do. But if you talk to a lower league footballer, Who's who's on far less money than the Premier League, and when we're all we're all completely skewed in our opinion. Yes, yes, no, yeah, we all think they're course. all earning tens of, of thousands course, pounds a week. They are not, and lower league players who are on one or two year contracts, who are retiring at thirty one and thirty two, and then they're looking forward to what what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah, and are they being advised correctly? Because a lot of the time they're relying on agents and, and advisors and so on who disappear the minute their careers finish. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I, I think one of the things that football really needs to look at the most is the way it handles footballers retiring and the way it handles telling 15, 16-year-old kids they're not getting professional contracts. Absolutely. Because until five, six years ago, both groups of players were pretty much waved goodbye to. I remember Neil Ruddock saying that he had a toothache two days after leaving his last club and didn't, literally didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to deal with having a toothache because until two days before, he would have phoned the club... They would have sent the car, would have taken it to the dentist, the pain would have stopped. And now they've, they've but again, that's an issue for another pod. There's also, a, a, I need to move on to questions. There's a question I'm going to hold over because it's a very good question, but it's about who you think are the, the most financially effective and least financially effective clubs in the in the league, according to turnover. But it strikes me as being quite a big question, but I do want to get this in particular. Um, this is from Mark Jones, who's a Bangor City fan, and it, it's, it's off the back of last week's discussion about agents' fees. And again, if you were listening last week, we are still in negotiations with an agent to come on and talk to us on this pod. Um, he's talking about the, the Pogba fee that you, that you mentioned in, in particular. Mm. You've entered, the, remind us of what the figure was for the transfer. It was it was 26 million euros. On a transfer fee of... 90, 94, 95 right. million. So it, his question is... Um, how much of that would Paul Pogba have got? He's the, he's the asset. Would the agent, would some of that money go back to Pogba, or is Pogba getting the percentage of what's the seventy million that's left after the agent fee? I, I, I think there will be an arrangement between Paul Pogba, but it's a private arrangement between him and his agent. Um, he will also potentially have got a a settlement from Juventus. Uh, he'll also potentially get a signing on fee from Manchester United. So, and that signing on fee would be spread over the life of his contract. So, there's lots of ways. And again, here we probably we need to be speaking to the agents. Um, so there's lots of ways of remunerating players in respect for transfer. And I think the saddest thing you were talking about the the start and the end of footballers' careers. Footballers are not footballers; they are commodities. Well, that's awful to hear. And it's a horrible, know, horrible I know, word. I know. Um, but that is how they are seen. And, and I know some football clubs who talk about having an investments department, not a recruitment player. You know, it's, and, and they're using the words of the world of finance. The, these are young men. 
you know, the, these are these are brothers and sons and and you know, and friends and so on. And, and and I do think that there is there is a duty of care with wow. the, with the players who don't make the grade or the players who retire early mm. or the players who do suffer from anxiety and get distracted by betting and other and other forms of you know, if, if you're young and you, you you're surrounded by all of this and is is the game doing enough well there's too many sad stories that we're seeing yeah well it's not just betting it's a relationship with alcohol and all sorts of other things um before we move on to the last question the the one great pub fact i've always uh, convinced is do we talk about the proportion of a transfer fee that a player gets and again this is one of those things who will say well it's 10 percent I've, I don't know why I've got that in my head, but I've always said whenever a player gets a big transfer, oh, ten percent of that—that's a lot of money. Is, was that, that was that ever okay? Have I has that percolated through for a reason? It historically, it used to be that if a player did not request a transfer, he would get five or ten percent of oh, the sale right, proceeds. Right. That has now disappeared as oh, as a okay. right. Right, right. Um, certainly, it's something that could be negotiated. Um, but there, there is no definitive uh, arrangement uh, between between players and clubs. Um, I, th- I think it was a rule of the PFA, um, but uh, that that has gone now for some time. All right. Now this is we, we've got a little bit of time left, but this question is going to take that little bit of time. Uh, it's a very heartfelt question from a Notts County fan, Joseph Garner. Thank you for the question, Joseph. Thank you to everybody who sends questions in. As I say, if, if we don't talk about them, Kieran will try and answer them on email or Twitter. Um, Again, this is another phrase that comes up. Is is the fit and proper test fit and proper? Right. Or is it simply impossible to stop rogue owners if they want to be associated? And again, the fit and proper test always... It, it, the Premier, you, you very rarely hear it mentioned in Premier League club context, do you? It's nearly always, unfortunately, League 1, League 2 and Championship clubs. So I'm going to throw that question over to you, basically. Right. It, it's now called the owners and directors test. Um, and what it's looking at is, are you deemed to be an appropriate person to be an owner or a director of a football club? The reason why you don't hear about it in the Premier League is actually to get a deal through via the Premier League. You're, it's going to cost you a hundred, two hundred, you know, two billion pounds, and that's going to take a lot of time. So that gives the Premier League a lot of time for them to do their homework. Oh, so for example, if the consortium were to take over or to bid for Newcastle United, that process is going to take that's right a minimum three months, six months. Yeah, and therefore the Premier League, you know, once once the application goes through, then then Mike Ashley would have to notify the Premier League, and it would allow them to do their due diligence. And does everyone, if there is a consortium, for example, does everyone in that consortium get? checked or is it, it, it is it just the, the named person who is it, it's the it's the owner so the owner could be the person who is is underwriting it all and the the direct the board of directors who are being appointed right. i don't like the word owner being used about football clubs no. so nfl wasn't it but and, so... and 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 the concern is especially if they are american and owners they see it as, as, a, as a franchise that they are acquiring so there. in the premier league are there ways if so if for example uh, you know Hank Williams, American billionaire, turns up, wants to buy Newcastle. The Premier League do due diligence on, on Hank Williams uh, and his board of directors, and that's all fine. And then the day after the deal's done, he brings another money man in to sit on. A, is that is, is he able to do that once once the club is his? Can he then bring who he wants in to help? 
Um, everybody involved with the club would would have to satisfy. So a new person being so involved, they would, so it's ongoing. They, 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 it's ongoing. That's okay, right. Right. Okay. Um, that's slightly reassuring. Yeah. So. I think the issue that we've seen in respect of Bolton Wanderers and Berry Football Club mm. is that in both of those circumstances, the existing owner had washed their hands of the club, and they sold Berry and Bolton were both sold effectively for a pound. Yeah. And then the phone call went through to the EFL. We've sold the club. Sort, sort yourself out. Now, so there's no onus on the current owner to do due diligence. It's easier said than, than done it's due diligence. No. Because if you think about it, if you're selling something for a pound, the last thing you're going to do is employ lawyers to, to investigate the person to, you know, to, to what yeah, you're selling yeah. a pound for. Fair point. Um, I, th- I think the owners and directors test is, is fundamentally weak because all that it says is, do you have an outstanding conviction, an unspent conviction. Now, under the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act, which, you know, yeah, yeah, which, is, which is appropriate, I, 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 I fully understand yeah. that, you can, you can understand that it's a legal minefield for the, the EFL or the Premier League to get involved. If we take a look at the scenario of... So which, I'm an ex-human resources manager, so we should maybe explain for people who don't know about the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act that after, it used to be five years, the convention, conviction was spent, you don't have to tell anybody about it. It's probably changed now, but after a certain time, if you've been convicted of a crime, you don't have to report that to potential employers. So yep. that's that's what you're talking about in that that's right. situation. If we take a look at the situation of Bolton Wanderers, yeah. Um, the existing owner, he was getting old, he wasn't well, he, he, he'd loved the club, he'd put a huge amount, yes, he'd yeah, put yeah, £175 and, million pounds in the club. Made, them, made them very successful. Um, and um, everybody had, had benefited from that. He then sold the club to a guy who had previously been banned from being a director of any company in the UK for eight years. Any company? Any company. So that that's a quite a severe sanction. Under those circumstances, even if you know, rehabilitation of you know rehabilitation, and, yeah. and I understand the principles behind that, that's perfectly fine. Why didn't the EFL say, "Okay, you've given us a fait accompli. Um, we're going to put somebody alongside you because we're concerned about your ability to run the business." So they they could have they could have quite simply said. We, we feel that you need some form of assistance just to monitor the decision-making, just to monitor that the bills are being paid and things of this nature. But they chose to instead say, it's your club, it's your company, do what you want. And that's how Bolton... You know, Berry got to midnight, Bolton were at 11.59pm, weren't they? But for all that you said about the previous... There, there is a degree of irresponsibility in an owner selling a club to somebody who's had those sanctions imposed on him, isn't there? And did the EFL, were they aware that these sanctions were imposed on him, but they could do nothing about it until he actually owned the club? Yep. So there's no point having a fit and proper person test in this, is there? Well, if, 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 you're, uh, if, if you're wearing a tag, then uh, that's the one on your ankle rather yeah. than one around your wrist. Um, <laughs> if, so if, if, you, if you're wearing a tag... Um, then no, you can't go like, and buy I'm, a football club. I'm a comedian. I don't like laughing at other people. You realise that, don't you? That's, yeah. That's I. So it's almost impossible to fail a fit and proper because because essentially then if if Hank Williams knew it was by Newcastle knew that he would not pass a fit and proper person test he just gets his mate in to be the front man of the club you get a nominee in 
Yeah. So it's it's not it's not difficult to get around this rule, is it? No, and and it then gets very messy. If you look to see what happened with Leeds United, their previous owner before before the present one, uh, Chilino, he had a weird relationship with VAT on yachts in yes, yes and and, yes. and then for a period of time the EFL said oh, you're no longer the owner, but he still seemed to be. Doing what he wanted to do indirectly. So it's very messy, murky. The lawyers get involved, and that there's. I, I do feel some degree of sympathy for the EFL because they are given a fate accompli a lot of the time. Well, also, I presume the EFL's logic is that if we make it tougher to buy clubs, more clubs will go to the wall, if, essentially. Yep. But that's a kind of. Well, I suppose it's a, if your club is the one being saved, then it's, it's not a short term. And I think we've also got to ask the fundamental... People talk about the EFL, but who is the uh, EFL? The clubs. It's the club owners. Yes, yes, so yes, are yes. the club owners going to vote for rules which are going to make it more difficult for them to sell the club when they want to move uh, out? I think that's an interesting point to make because most people... Not most people. People listening to this, I'm sure, will know. But there are people who won't know. The Premier League simply consists of the 20 clubs that are in the Premier League. It's just a members-only club. Which is strange, because you kind of think it must be like the FA, that you've got a full-time staff, or like the civil service. You've got a full-time staff that run the Premier League, and you just become a temporary member of it for however long you're in there. But that's not the case. So it's self-interest. self-interest. The Premier League is always going to act in self-interest, which, again, we saw with... goes right back to our very first pod when we're talking about Berry, and I'm asking you why clubs and not doing the honourable thing and helping Barry out. And you, and you basically, it's turkeys voting for Christmas, is what you're saying. And, and we've also seen um, in, in the north-west, where I live, um, Bill Kenwright, the, 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 the previous owner, or the previous, previous major, major shareholder in Everton Football Club, he, he sold his shares, but he's still a director of Everton. He offered a million pounds to Barry as a gift to try to save the club. Because he is one of the most honourable men in football, as everyone knows, yep. essentially. And the EFL turned around and said, thanks, but no thanks. What? They, they, they rejected his offer because under rule, and, and I've learnt this one off by heart, under rule, EFL rule 105.2.5, as we all know well, um, you are not allowed to gift money to another club if you're involved at board level with a club in the but Premier League. I... What's the logic of that rule? Well, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I guess, a, I guess, I guess you can say that you might have undue. In, you might be able to you know, recruit youth players and so on, and and but abuse the position. But do, then, do you know what? If I was a Berry fan, I'd say you can have the first pick of all our youth players. Yeah. Essentially, I didn't. I I didn't know that. That's that's wrong of the EFL. Isn't it? It, 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 seem, it seems intuitively wrong, especially as they say, well, you can't gift us a million pounds. Where did Berry train? Berry train at Carrington, which is owned by Manchester City. Now, Manchester City moved to a new training facility and they said to Berry, look, we know your skin. We know you've got trouble. You can use our training facilities. As long as you mow the grass, 
Brilliant. You can, you can use our training facilities for nothing. Right. Because yeah, we're good guys. And yeah, yeah. yeah, and City is east, you know, east Manchester and, and Berry's not yeah. that far away. And they've always have had a decent relationship themselves. Um so so if City can gift them the use of training facilities, why can't Bill Kenwright gift a million pounds? Yeah, and I'm sure I'm no tax expert, but I'm sure HMRC would would find a way. I mean that's a gift in kind that so is that's the same as giving them money, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. that's I'm trying to think of a way of not ending this pod on a depressing note, but that's... I, I didn't realise that at the time. So that option to save Berry, and it would have saved Berry, that option was there, or at least given a, a stay of execution. It, it would have given a stay of execution, potentially. The, the thing it would not have addressed is Steve Dale is still in charge of Berry. Well, this, is, this again makes nonsense of the fit and proper person test because you've got Steve Dale is still in charge of Berry, whatever Berry is as an entity now, and you've got Bill Kenwright who would pass any fit and proper person test in football, not being allowed to rectify a situation caused by a person who probably wouldn't. So, uh, yeah, so the, well, at least we've answered the question. Right. What, is, what is a fit and proper person test? And is it fit and proper? It's not, is it? It's not fit for purpose. Is, I mean, do you think that will change in in future? Or is... Well, um, the EFL presently have a QC who's going through the fine print. But if it is a very objective test, if it's very much a rule... Then rules for, for every, as 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 my 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 law lecturer at university once said to me, for every rule there's a loophole. Well, if you've got money, there is. Yeah. I think it's the cynical answer mm. to end this pod, which has taken a cynical note. But unfortunately, the price of football is sometimes going to be high, isn't it? So we we can't pretend that it's going to be a jolly subject that we can get out of each week. So, unless, of course, Becky has cooked you another meal like last week. The shout-out oh. I had to give to people cooking you meals last week. Is, it's the only way I can get food these days. Is it? Oh, yeah. dear. If, if anybody out there wants to cook meals for Kieran, by all means, send questions and recipes. We'll, we'll accept all those. This has been a Dap Dip production recorded at Soho Radio Studios in the heart of central London. Thank you for your feedback and reviews. Um, as I semi-pleaded last week, and I don't like having to do this, if you could give more reviews at iTunes that would be great it does help us in the Apple charts which we're doing well in thank you already it helps with algorithms whatever they are I don't know I'm not a doctor so uh, just say what you like as long as it's nice as long as you've got five stars you can put what you want you can say I'm not going to be reading them but I'll be finding out about the five stars from Guy thank you for listening we'll be back next week with more from the price of football